Welcome to The Life Podcast. We're so glad you're joining us for another hope-filled message. We pray that you're encouraged by this powerful word from our Sunday service. Awesome. Well, we're going to continue our series called For Unto Us, Part 2. And it's in keeping with our Christmas season. And so... This series is based upon the Old Testament prophecy found in the book of Isaiah. Say Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 9 verse 6 is a well-worn, well-known passage of Scripture for those who've been in church for a while. But I realise there are some here today that may not be the case. You may be new. This may be a new experience. And to you, we want to say you are welcome. We're so glad you're here. Can we put our hands together, church, for those that are in this place this morning? Love you to hang around after the service and uh, help you get connected a little bit more. Maybe answer any questions you may have. But bare minimum, we'd love to give you a coffee on us, tea on us, cold drink on us today. Just to say thank you so much for coming. But uh, getting on with my preach, Isaiah chapter 9 verse 6 says this, For unto us a child is born and a son is given. I love it. Christmas is all about the greatest gift that was ever given to planet Earth. And it was God giving earth, heaven's best, this incredible child. And the government shall be upon his shoulder. And these will be his royal titles, wonderful, counsellor, the mighty God, the everlasting Father, and the Prince of Peace. Isn't that awesome? This series is about some of those names that were given to this unborn, yet to come, Messiah. And the prophet was given these words some 700 years before his birth. Imagine that, a prophet giving a prophecy and not being around to see the fulfilment of it. And not only that, the next generation never saw it. The next generation never saw it. The next generation never saw it. And with every generation that passed, it seemed like he was more and more a false prophet. But God's word is true. And like it says in the New Testament, let God be true and every man be a liar. And some 700 years, maybe not in Isaiah's time, let's be honest, every prophet wants the Word of God to happen in their day and generation to justify the Word that they bought. But God has a time for everything. And some 700 years after that prophecy, some 2,000 years ago for us, it was 700 years in the future, it's 2,000 years in the past for us, this prophecy was fulfilled. Isn't that awesome? And it prophecy reveals something about the character and the nature of this Messiah, this Saviour of the world. It reveals who He is and what only He can do. Last week, we talked about the importance of names. We had a little bit of fun about the rules around names. When picking a name for your child, you can't be uh, just picking a name of a child based upon a former love, former uh, flame, or a former person that you dated. That would be weird to name a child after someone you once dated. I'm sure hubby or wifey would be really upset if you wanted to name your child after an ex-girlfriend or boyfriend. It would be weird. So if you want to know more about those rules... That are not in the Bible, but they will help you in life. You can listen to that message last week. But we highlighted three names from this prophecy last week. We, we established, according to Isaiah's prophet, that he is wonderful. And as wonderful, he deals with the dullness of our lives. You've had a dull day? Well, Mr. Wonderful wants to deal with the dullness and the boredom and the monotony of your lives. Don't ever lose the wonder, church. Amen. The second one was counsellor. And as counsellor, he deals with the decisions of our life. 
And the third one was mighty God. I love this. And as mighty God, He deals with the, the demands of our lives. If you want to know more about that, listen to last week's podcast or you can watch it on YouTube. There's so many avenues right now for you to listen and or watch all of our messages. So please take advantage of that. Today, however, I want to look at two more names that Isaiah gave this yet-to-be-born Messiah. And the first one is everlasting. Say everlasting. 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 Isn't that awesome? He is everlasting. That'd be awesome. And as everlasting, He deals with the death of life. Sounds like a contradiction. The death of life, yeah. Because we all have to face death. And what I know in dealing with people is that death brings one of the greatest fears because of the uncertainty, because of the unknown. One of the greatest fears that we face in life today is the fear of death, the uncertainty of the unknown. And Isaiah spoke into a baby that was to be born who shall go by the name ever. Lasting And everlasting is the Hebrew word ad, A-D, simple. And it simply means eternal or unceasing in duration. This Messiah that was to be born was eternal, unceasing. He has no beginning. He has no end. He existed before He came to earth and He will continue to exist long after this earth does not exist. In Revelation, Jesus refers to Himself as the first and the last, the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. Jesus was at the beginning of time. And Jesus will be there at the end of time as we know it. Because for Jesus, there is no beginning and there is no end. He's omniscient, which means He's all-knowing. We have some pretty smart people in this church I thank God for smart people, educated people. But I want you to know His knowledge is beyond anyone in this church. In actual fact, if you could get all of our collective knowledge together, His knowledge supersedes all of our knowledge. In Psalm 139 verse 1, it says, O Lord, You have searched my heart. You know me. You know when I sit down and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts From afar. He knows our thoughts even before we've shared them. You discern my going out and my laying down. You are familiar with all of my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you know it completely, O Lord. Such is the knowledge. Such is the wonder. The reason He knows what we're going through, He's already been there. The reason He knows what's in our mind, He already knows what we're thinking. Not only is he omniscient, but he's omnipotent, which means he's all powerful. In Job, I love this, Job chapter 9, verse 4 says, His wisdom is profound, his power is vast. Who has restrained him and come out unscathed? He moves mountains without knowing it and overturns them in his anger. He shakes the earth from the place and makes its pillars tremble. He speaks to the sun, get this, and it does not shine. He seals off the light of the stars. He alone stretches out the heavens and uh, treads on the waves of the sea. That's why He was able to walk on water. He is the maker of the bear and the Orion and all these other animals and the constellations of the south. He performs wonders that cannot be fathomed, miracles that cannot be counted. 
Our God is an incredible God, an everlasting God. Not only that, He's omnipresent, which means He's ever-present. He can be here with us today, meeting the needs of every individual, soothing the heart of those who have poured themselves out for the last four months, five months in our Christmas production that's not going to happen. And He can be there for you. While overseeing the affairs in the Middle East, He's an amazing God. How is He able to do that? Because unlike us, He's able to be everywhere at once. Psalm 139, one of my favourite passages of Scripture of all time. Verse 7 says, where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? It's so funny when you try and hide from God. Where do you hide? Where can you hide? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go to the heavens, you're there. If I make my bed in the depths, guess what? You're there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. I don't know if you ever played hide and seek when you were younger. Or, or maybe as a parent, you had young kids and you played hide and seek. And the kids would go off and hide and they'd count to five, ten or whatever they could count to. Some of the smarter ones could count to 20. I'll, I'll count to 100, Dad, just to show you I can count to 100. But for me, it's like, I'll try five. And so we count to five and, 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 and you try and hide. And, and, and the kids are great at hiding. They go like this, okay, I'm ready. And they think because something's in front of them, they're hiding. And if you're a good dad, you'll just overlook the fact that you know exactly what you'll just string. I wonder if over here, you remember doing this? But the whole time you knew where they were because kids aren't good at hiding. That's a picture of us. We can't hide from God. We're like, oh, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take my bat and ball. I'm going home. I'm not going to be a Christian anymore. Oh, I've had God. I'm just going to sit over here. And, uh... and God's like, what are you doing? I know you're there. You can't hide from God. Okay, run to the other side of Australia. Guess what? God's there. Run back to Melbourne. He's here. Stay in Adelaide. He's there. People who try and run from God, and a lot of people end up going to Queensland because, you know, just, I have no more trouble. No, you take you with you. You've got to be there. Hello. You can't hide from God. He's omnipresent. In Colossians chapter 1, I love this. Colossians chapter 1 verse 15 says, The Son, Jesus, this Messiah that was prophesied about by the prophet of Isaiah, says this Son, the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in Him all things were created, things on heaven and things on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things, get this, have been created through Him and for Him. He is before all things and in Him all things hold together for the good. Do you believe that? He's the beginning and He's the end. And what this passage we've just read in Colossians is essentially saying, because He was at the beginning of all things and He's in all things and He's the one who can hold all things together. And that tells me if we'll put Him first, He'll hold your life together. Kath and I get to celebrate 30 years of marriage on the 8th of February next year. And what I know about marriage is it's not always easy. But when you put God first, when you put Jesus first, this is what happens. He will hold your marriage together. When you put Him first in your finances, He'll hold your finances together. 
But when we try and do it in our own strength, in our own wisdom, in our own might, that's where the cracks begin to appear. Because He was before all things and He's in all things and He's holding all things together, He's the one who can hold your life together. If you're feeling mentally stressed, if you're feeling under pressure, He can hold you together. You don't have to fall apart. If you feel like you're falling apart, the answer is this one who can hold us together. And Jesus has incredible ability about holding us together and bringing back broken pieces together. He's able to do that because He's the beginning and the end. Maybe you want to write this down or or commit this to memory, but the beginning and the end remain with God. But it's in the middle of the beginning and the end that human choices are made. This This is how I marry the sovereignty of God and the free will of man. God's at the beginning. I didn't have a say in my birth. And here's a day appointed for me when I will go to be with Him. He's at the beginning. He's at the end. He decides those things. But the middle piece has a lot to do with my free will, the decisions I make, the choices I make. In other words, the decrees of God are birth and death. But in between those limits, we make our own distress or our own joy. We make our own struggles or our own pleasures. We have to make good choices. And so church, I want to say, make wise choices. Live with eternity in mind. For me, eternity is the only thing that brings meaning and significance to this life. If this life is all there is to live, then eat, drink and be merry. That's what the Bible says. But if we're living knowing that one day we're going to see Him face to face, it changes how we do this life. It changes how we respond to people. It changes what we do. And I want to encourage you, make wise decisions in light of eternity. You know, there's lots of talk about what happens in church. But you know, the thing that Paul, the great apostle, spoke more about anything was eternity. He spoke a couple of times about communion. He spoke a few times about other things. But the thing he spoke over 50 times in the Scriptures was eternity, 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 eternity. When he was in prison writing the Scriptures, what we call Scriptures today, they were letters to him. And he says, these problems we're facing, they're light and momentary troubles compared to the what? The glory that we shall receive when? In eternity. This Messiah that was prophesied about by Isaiah is an eternal God. He's an everlasting God. Don't allow present circumstances or present situations to rob you of the power of eternity. If you're disappointed about Christmas, that's okay. Just don't allow that disappointment to rob you of your joy. Hold it in light of eternity. I'm so grateful for my dad for many reasons, but one of the the, the catch cries of my dad's uh, life have been this, in light of eternity, what's it matter? And you can't live in the rainbow household like I did and work alongside my dad as I did without seeing him on his bad days and his struggle days. And on his bad days and his struggle days and his disappointing days, he always landed with his, hey, Tony, don't worry about what I just said. Mate, in light of eternity, what's it matter? Well, we've been there 10,000 years and he'd always find peace with an understanding that our Messiah is an everlasting Messiah. This thought of Isaiah will change your life forever. Amen. And the second point today is simply this. 
Father. Ever say Father. And as Father, He deals with the dysfunction of our life. I use the word dysfunction because when I think of family life, there's so much dysfunctionality within families. There are so many families today that are dysfunctional. Please don't show me your hands, but if I was to ask, are you from a dysfunctional family? I'm sure there'd be many hands that would be raised because we all have that auntie, we all have that uncle. And if you don't know who that auntie or that uncle or that son or that dad is, if you don't know who that is, you're that one. But he deals with the dysfunction of life because you can't deal or live closely with family members without a measure of dysfunctionality. And so as Father, he deals with this dysfunction of our lives. Families are so dysfunctional these days, as I've mentioned, and he wants to come and help us. He wants to help us with our daddy issues. Again, if I said, who has daddy issues? A lot of hands would go up, I'm sure. That's the ones who is aware of them. And then there's a whole heap of people who aren't aware of them because they're too busy blaming everyone else. But it goes back to, daddy issues. And Isaiah declared that the Messiah would be called Father. Now, can I just put a little note in here and say that Jesus is not the Father. Jesus is God the Son. He's not God the Father. He's God the Son. And so Isaiah is not addressing the role of Father but the attributes of Father. I want you to catch that. Isaiah is talking about the relationship that Jesus would have with his people in accordance with their need. And I know, as I mentioned the word Father today, many father uh, struggle sorry, with the concept of Father. Why? Because we look at the future through the lenses of the past. And depending on how you are brought up depends on how you see God the Father. If you've got daddy issues or you were abandoned, again, I'm not here to point a finger. I'm not here to bring up uh, the pain of the past. But what I do know is that God wants to help heal the past. And sometimes in order for the past to be healed, we've got to have a new lens in the way we see God in particular as Father. We need to change our lenses. I have prescription sunglasses and I have prescription glasses. And when I'm in a sunny environment, those sunglasses are really helpful lenses. They protect my eyes while allowing me to see. But because I see so clearly with them on, I can walk into a, a shopping mall or even here in church, walk indoors and all of a sudden everything's dark. And the problem is not the glasses. The glasses don't need fixing. What needs to happen is I need to have a change of lenses. And so I need to change my sunglasses for my seeing glasses so that I can see more clearly. And I want to encourage you. I, I believe that's what God is wanting to do in our lives when it comes to our understanding as God, as Father, that we would change the lens. Because your view of God the Father will be distorted if it's left at and only at your earthly father. God is a far greater father than any earthly father. I've already mentioned my dad once before today. And he was a great man and a great dad. But he pales compared to the goodness of God the Father. Are you with me? And unfortunately, when we project 
our image of an earthly father, it affects our understanding of our heavenly father. We view God through the lens of our earthly father and that needs to change. And the way we change it is through changing the lens through scripture. What does the Bible say? Not what does your past say. What does the Bible say about God the Father? Not what do you say about God the Father based on your earthly father. Are you with me? See, one of the greatest and primary roles of Jesus was to reveal what the Father looked like. He's not the Father, He's the Son. But He revealed to us the nature and the character and the wonder and the beauty of the Father. In John chapter 14, verse 9, it says this, Jesus answered, Don't you know me, Philip? Even after I've been with you such a long time, everyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Jesus was saying, you've seen the Father. What I've displayed is what the Father's like. It goes on to say in John chapter 5, verse 19, Jesus gave them this answer. Very truly, I tell you, the Son of Man can do nothing by himself. He only does what he sees his Father doing. Because whatever the Father does, the Son also does. I've been told as a young man growing up, when I was working alongside my dad, they said, ah, he's a chip off the old block, Tony. Just like you, Keith. Now, we had our differences, but I had certainly been trained by, discipled by, apprenticed by my dad. And there are so many traits and mannerisms and attitudes and, and uh, understandings and, and worldview that came from being like my dad. And I would like to think that there's so much about me that reflects my dad really well. That even if you hadn't met my dad, you get to know something of what he's like based on my attitudes and my actions. And Jesus was saying that. He was saying, hey, if you've seen me, then you've seen the Father. And not only did he show us what the Father's like, he told us what the Father was like. And Luke chapter 15 is one of those incredible parables that Jesus told that has become well known to many people who've been in church for a while. A parable that we know as the prodigal son. But for me, it will forever be the parable of the good father. Or you could say the Godfather. Because it's more about the Father to me than the Son. In actual fact, there was more than one son involved in the story. There was the younger one and there was the older one and they both had their issues. But the standout character, the standout personality in that story is the one of the Father. It highlights the incredible qualities of our Heavenly Father. And I'm fast running out of time, but let me just quickly go through some thoughts with you today to hopefully help us change the lens of what Father God looks like. And the first thing is, in this story, we see that he's a loving father. In verse 20 of Luke chapter 15, I don't have time to read all of these scriptures. I might read some, but go have a look at it for yourself because we see that he never stopped loving his father. In Luke 15, verse 20, we read, The father saw his son and was filled with compassion, and he ran to his son. He threw his arms around him, and he kissed him. This is an example of unconditional love. This is an example of a father filled with love for his son. Even though his son walked off, even though his son squandered his money, even though his son had lost everything, even though his son said, Dad, I wish you were dead, his father still loved him. This is unconditional love. I say this all the time, but to be fully known is one thing. But to be fully known and yet still fully loved is amazing. Would people still love you if they knew all your deepest, darkest secrets? Many wouldn't. But God does. 
He knows all your deepest, darkest secrets, and yet He's still madly and passionately in love with you. And if you're in this room today or you're watching online and you don't know that, I want you to hear this. God is madly and passionately in love with you. He's not mad with you. He loves you. And He wants to have a relationship with you. Why? Because He's a loving Father. Maybe your Father never showed you that kind of love. Don't allow that to rob you of the image of God, our Father, who loves you. In spite of what you've done, in spite of what you've said, He loves you anyway. Amen. Secondly, he's a committed father. See, when his son ran away, his father was always looking for him. He never went after him, but he was looking for him. Forever looking. I wonder if this is the day that he's going to come to his senses. I wonder if this is the day that he's going to come back. Kept looking and looking and looking and looking. He was committed to him. Again, Luke chapter 15, verse 20. So he got up to his father, and while he was still a long way off, when the, when the son was still a long way off, his father saw him. I love that. I want you to know that God the Father sees you. When the prodigal son was doing his own thing, when you've been doing your own thing, God sees you. He's watching. He's waiting. He's happy for you to come back home. See, the Father is committed to us in, in two areas. He's committed to us, and he's committed to our growth. He's committed to us and he's committed to our growth. In other words, he loves us as we are, but he loves us too much to leave us as we are. See, he won't ever leave you, but he will let you go. He'll never leave you, but he will let you go. If you say, I've had enough, I'm out. Okay, on your way. How many of you say, God, where's God? He's right where he's always been. I was in the gym yesterday, and I was half a day away. I said, where's my towel? Where's my towel? And I think, where's my towel? And I had to, I had to retrace my steps. And do you know where I found my towel? Do you know where I found it? <laughs> this is going to blow your mind. I found it exactly where I left it. If God is feeling distant and you feel God's left you and he's not there, I said, when's the last time you had communion, intimacy, relationship with him? Go back to that. Revelation says, get back to your first love. See, he won't leave you, but he will let you go. This is what I know about the Christian journey. When you, when you become a Christian, it starts out with a lot of blessing. It's amazing what God does for you when you first get saved. It's amazing. All the good things. Everything you do. I've got a car park. It's amazing. In Christmas at Westfield. It's amazing. I've got a car park. God, you're so good. And you walk past somewhere and there's a special. Oh my gosh. And not just a special, but they like me and they gave me 50% off. The special was 20%. Now they gave me 50 Oh God, it's been a Christian's awesome. How many got those stories? And what I've learned when we first come to Christ is often marked by feelings and sight, more so than faith. And, and God meets us where we're at. And because our faith is so small, He meets us with some of these sensory elements because He loves us and He wants us to walk in our journey. But then there comes a time where God seems to withdraw these comforts. Have you noticed that? He, 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 what used to work doesn't work anymore. I can drive around for Westfield for weeks just looking for a park these days. 
feels like the presence of God is no longer with me. There was a time I used to pray and I'd get apart. Not now. I feel like I'm speaking to some of you. I feel like I'm speaking to you. Not that there'll be any problems in Westfield because of all the restrictions that'll be right across the board. There'll be no... It'll just be easy to apart these days because if it's going to check in and we know exactly how many people are there, it'll be numbered. It'll be awesome. Anyway... I'm still hurting people. I said, anyway, pray for me. But God is wanting us to grow. And that's why what used to work doesn't always work in the future because he's saying, you've grown past that. You think about when you were trying to learn to ride a two-wheel bike and you had training wheels. Some of you had a three-wheel bike and you still had training wheels. That's a whole other story. And you have these training wheels. They're part of the bike. And you're right along, and then you get a little bit of balance, and then they take them off you. I mean, it seems unfair. They're now taking the wheels off. I'm not there yet. You're taking the part of the bike away? Where's the love? That's what God, he takes things away. Because when you're three or four and you're on training wheels, that's cute. When you're 27, not so cute. (laughs) Not cute. And so God will withdraw things. He'll take things. He'll stop things. Why? Because he hates you? No. Maybe your earthly father did that. This is not God the Father. He'll withdraw. He'll stop. He'll take in order to improve, to grow. And I'm grateful I've had people in my lives that haven't let me get away with what I've wanted to get away with. I'm glad that God has said no to many of my prayers. I'm glad that God hasn't even answered some of my prayers. God doesn't even say no sometimes. He just doesn't even take me serious at times because he's trying to grow me. I'm so grateful. And I hope you get to be my age or older where you can look back and think, I'm so glad God didn't say yes to every one of my prayers. If you haven't got to that place in your life, you've either given up or you're just not that old yet. But for those of you who have just given your life to Jesus recently and just enjoying the blessing, yeah, God bless you. Enjoy it. It's awesome. But there comes a time. Why? Because he's committed to you. And he's committed to your growth. He's a loving father that is committed to us. Don't give up on him because God will never give up on you. Let's get the man up here very quickly. Number three. Oh, yeah, you can clap. That's good. I was about to say, I'm preaching better than you're responding, but hey. Um, it's all right. Okay. Number three. He's a forgiving father. Very quickly. He forgave his son. In Jesus' time, the father had the right to turn his back on his son. He had the right to receive his son back, but only as a slave. He even had the right to kill his son, to slit his throat from ear to ear. He had that right. But the father in the story did none of those things because that doesn't reflect the nature of God the Father. What did he do? He forgave him. He received him back, not just as a slave, but as a son. When the son came to his senses, he came to the father. What I love about this story, he ended up in a pig pen eating pig food. And in that moment, he would have looked like a pig. He ate like a pig. He would have smelt like a pig. But when he returned to his dad in that state, his father declared, but you're not a pig. You're my son. And whatever you've been doing, whatever you've been messing around with, know that you're not what your circumstances say you are. Let's change the lens and see it through the lens of Scripture. 
The last one is he's a giving father. I love this thought that this dad in the story lavished gifts upon the son. It was just like, what? Just lavished gifts upon him. So many things. He put rings on his fingers, bells on his toes. I think I'm, I'm confusing scripture and nursery rhymes. I'm not sure, but gave him new clothes. He didn't deserve any of that. But he received it. Why? Because God is a generous father. He's a giving father. He lavished upon him the best. See, I believe God doesn't always supply just our needs. He supplies much, much more than that. You think about your life right now, the home you live in, the car you drive, the clothes you wear, that's far more than what we need. God has blessed us. But let's not take the blessing for granted. Let's be a generous people. And that's why for me, I'm so passionate about what Pastor Paul spoke about recently in his series, God, Money, Me. I believe the ultimate test of where our heart is in conjunction with money is what we do with the first part of our money. What's the first thing we do with our money highlights where our heart's at. We have an opportunity every week, church, to say, God, it's you first. And I'm going to take a portion of my income just as a reminder to you and to me and anyone else who is watching that you are the one who's made it all possible. Otherwise, we become selfish. And selfishness never reflects, never reflects the heart of the Father. I told that story of Mitchie when he was much younger. We went through the drive-through at Macca's. And I got him a Happy Meal. And I was trying to be good and not have any of that junk food. But you know what? When that food came through that window and you get a whiff of those chips, it's just really hard to be disciplined. And I thought, what's, what, what's one chip going to do to this magnificent? <laughs> and so I asked Mitch, hey, Mitch, can I have one of your chips? And this is what he said, bless him. And he was young. He said, no, they're mine. And I, I, I really think, before we get too judgmental of Mitch, I think it does reflect many of us. And I just had this moment, I had this God moment. Like, are you kidding me? You're in my car. Energized by the petrol that I paid for. Going through drive-through at Macca's to buy food that I paid for. I'm just thinking, how much of those chips are really yours? And I know what it did for me. Is that like, you won't even share one chip? I didn't even ask for 10%. Imagine I count out, there's 100 chips. I want 10 of the chips. I, I just want a one. I want about 0.01%. It's just like a small percentage. He said, no, they're mine. Thankfully, I've beaten that out of him over the years. <laughs> I mean, teached it out, taught it out of him. I don't, so. But seriously, this is an opportunity for us because stinginess and selfishness never reflects the Father. I met you. Just like Jesus showed the world what the Father was like, we have an opportunity to show the world what Jesus was like. And Jesus was generous. Jesus was loving. Jesus was committed. Hey, thank God for church online. If you can't get to church, we're not because you couldn't be bothered. That doesn't reflect the heart of Jesus ever. He was committed. He went to church, or the, you know, the temple on the Sabbath every week. He was committed. 
And sometimes we do things because people are watching. Because it's the right thing to do. That's what righteousness is all about. We do, do it because it's the right thing to do. If you could steal and get away with it, would you? If you would, that's not righteous. We don't steal because it's the, it, it's, it's the right thing to do. That's what it is to be righteous. We don't go to church because I have to. We go because actually, one, we should want to. But it's, it's the right thing to do. Do you know, I, I have uh, an exemption from wearing a mask. Because I'm on my sixth now course of steroids because of what the masks do to my lips. And I could not wear one. And I, I try to wear it as sparingly as possible. But when I'm in church, I just know people are watching. I know I'm an example. And so come Monday morning, my lips are always sore. They're, they're kind of, they're weeping. Because you know what? I just don't want to be that guy that plays the exemption card. Because people watch. Am I free to do that? Absolutely. Can I show a piece of paper? Absolutely. I'm just, I'm just mindful. My life is bigger than just me and my lips and my problems. And I want us to be a church that does our best under God to represent and reflect Jesus well. I think this world would be a lot better off if it displayed the character and the nature of who Jesus is. Do you believe that? Can you stand with me this morning? Father, we thank you for your word. And I pray that your word would help us just change the lens of how we view you as Father this morning. How we view you as everlasting this morning. How we view you as wonderful. How we view you as counsellor. How we view you as mighty God. May these views not be tainted by our past but may they be changed by the Word of God. Help us with that today, I pray, in your precious name. Thanks for listening to this podcast. We trust that you are encouraged by this powerful message. You always have a place to call home here at Life, and we invite you to join us for our Sunday services at our Adelaide campus. If you'd like to know more about Life, then visit our website at lifeadelaide.org or download the Life Adelaide app and stay connected.